Well, would you join me in prayer this morning before this message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So have you ever looked forward to something and it didn't live up to its expectations? This is going to be a little more interactive today because there's not a lot of you here. So, uh. <laughs> you know, I uh, being a pastor has been interesting because it's totally jaded my view of of Christmas, um, which you might think strange. But having to preach these same stories every year now for 11 years, um, there's only so much you can say about a story that doesn't change, right? And uh, I found a few years back that I just wasn't really looking forward to Christmas much anymore. Um, it was a time that was kind of stressful. It was a time that was, um, you know, it was fun with the kids and stuff. But oftentimes I didn't feel terribly present on Christmas morning because I was recuperating from Christmas Eve. And then I stayed up and watched the Catholics and that probably doesn't help. Um, not that there's anything wrong with the Catholics. I just would probably shouldn't be going to bed earlier. But uh, I found that I wasn't looking forward to Christmas as nearly as much as when I was younger. Also, my wish list was more expensive, and I rarely got what I wanted. Um, I'm still holding out for that Corvette. Um, there's a few other things on there, uh, but oh well. And uh, to counter that, I started to fast during the Advent season, much like the church of old used to do. Uh, they would fast during Advent. We've kind of created, it's kind of funny, there's people that have already taken their Christmas decorations down um, when I know some folks that didn't even put their decorations up till Christmas Eve, and then they celebrate the Christmas season until Epiphany on January 6th. Um, and our culture has radically shifted the ancient rhythms of the church. Uh, nowadays, we have Christmas season, and it begins Black Friday, uh, and goes till Christmas Day, uh, and that's the Christmas season. Um, and uh, the fun and merriment is kind of, uh, you know, brought to a crescendo on Christmas Day, and then it just comes to a screeching halt, right? Um, and then we quickly flip the page on the calendar, and New Year's Eve is a big deal, and then off it is till uh, Valentine's Day. Walmart reminded me that that's coming up. Uh, yesterday, because they already had some stuff available to buy. Um, and the church, for uh, thousands of years, uh, recognized a season of Advent, a time of, of repentance, and a time of uh, waiting. And our culture doesn't like to wait much. None of us like to wait much, do we? Um, maybe that's why Christmas season has usurped the season of Advent because waiting is just kind of a drag. Um, I mean, and besides, we can only wait for about 25, 30 days uh, when it comes to opening a gift or something anyways. Um, and so the church has historically seen a, a season of waiting, a season of patience, a season of anticipation. And I must say that I've really enjoyed uh, 
kind of going against the culture and uh, fasting during the Christmas season and and taking time in my life. And, and so part of me doesn't want to sing Christmas carols too early uh, because I'm in a season of waiting. And so you might find it odd we sing some Christmas carols today. Isn't that behind us already? Um, but I saved those for this week. Uh, the season of Christmas is here. Today we're going to take a look again at uh, Mary, the mother of Christ. We've been considering her life uh, for several weeks now, and we're actually going to consider her life for four more weeks um, through uh, January a little bit. Um, take a look at uh, how she came to uh, understand her son and uh, what challenges were in her life. And today we come to a text that... Uh, that I think is one of the first ones that brought to her mind that, ooh, this may not be that easy. This may not be all that I had hoped for. Uh, his death was all, or his birth was all, already kind of weird. Uh, it was weird even for a normal kid. Anybody born in a stable here today? Laid in a manger? Anyone? Any? No? Nobody? Some of you look like, maybe, no, just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know what you would look like if you were born in a manger. Uh, but Jesus' birth, even for a normal kid, was weird. Um, and for the Son of God and the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, it's, it's really bizarre. And I shared some of that last week. And the weird things keep happening. The weird things keep happening to Mary. Um, this text that we're going to read, it's in Luke chapter 2. It's far less popular than uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, which Linus uh, quoted for us in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. Uh, this part picks up um, after the birth of Christ. In fact, just eight days after his birth, uh, probably before the wise men showed up. And uh, it starts to reveal to us how righteous and how Jewish Mary and Joseph are. Um, they are law-observant, Torah-observant Jews, and they're going to fulfill some parts of the Old Testament law that they are supposed to do. And it seems strange to us. When Sammy was born, and when Bailey was born, and when Davy was born, uh, Marnie had three C-sections, and after the third one, the dog said, no more. She'll burst open if you have another child. I think that's, I'm paraphrasing the doctor. Um, we, we failed to have a natural childbirth for whatever reason. And all three of them, uh, Marnie had C-sections. And, and every time she was in the hospital for several days recuperating from that. When Sam was born, um, a nurse came in. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I really don't care. Uh, a nurse came in. <laughs> I do care. Um, <laughs> I'm still going to say it. A nurse came in after, like the morning after Sam was born. He was born at 11 o'clock at night or so. Um, Marnie had to be put out completely because the epidural was not helping with feeling sharps and whatnot. So they put her out completely. She's still upset too about this to this very day. And uh, that morning, the nurse woke her up and they're like, hey, we're going to get you up today. And Marnie's eyeballs burnt a hole in that nurse. Um, because she's like, are you kidding me? What? 
You're going to get me out of bed? I just, I have this hole in me. You can't just get up and walk around with this. Um, and lo and behold, they got her up out of bed. I left the room and did other things. And, uh, um, and I remember that, you know, here we are uh, sitting around thinking about Sam, thinking, thinking about his life, what lays ahead. Uh, with Bailey, we would sit around thinking about her life, thinking about what lays ahead. With Dave, he was in the NICU for a few days. Uh, he, he had a little bit of trouble getting going. Uh, his lungs, he aspirated some uh, fluid into them. And so it was a little touch and go for a bit. But uh, once he was on the mend and once we were able to start to to think about him and what his life held in store for us. Um, You know, it was fun as young parents to sit and to chat and to wonder and to marvel. And and many of you, most of you have had that experience. And then one day they discharge you and you leave and you show up at home and and moms kind of sort of know what to do and then the other women are there and they really know what to do and the dudes just sit around and watch football games. Um, (laughs) And uh, that's what I did. I, you know, I didn't know. Um, but we had expectations and hopes and dreams and aspirations for our kids. And none of them involve our kids passing before we do. And sadly, the Goings family has experienced a tragic loss. And sadly, in this world, that happens way too often. Where kids pass before their parents. And in this story, we're going to see that Mary is told that she will live to see her son die. Here he is, 40 some days old. Could you imagine the feeling she must feel? I mean, after all she's been through in the last nine months, ten months, where an angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to give birth and it's going to be the Messiah, the one and only son of God. He's going to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the one who will reign over Israel and all the earth. He is the anointed one, the king of kings. And to have that and just say, may it be. And then to visit your cousin Elizabeth and she confirms what the angel says. And she says, oh, what is, why is it that the mother of my Lord would come and visit me? Why have I been found to be such a person of favor? And then she, Mary kind of starts getting it and she sings a song about everybody will call me blessed. Every generation from now on will call me blessed. And then uh, to have Caesar Augustus issue a decree for everybody to return to their hometown and you're nine months pregnant and to show up in Bethlehem and to have to give birth in the stable. And the first folks, because you're far from your family, you're far from your mom, you're, you're far from uh, your friends, and to have the first folks that visit you to be excited about the birth of your son are a bunch of Strange-smelling shepherds. And then they tell a tale about angels told us to show up here. And I can only imagine as she held baby Jesus, what was going through her mind? 
What was she thinking? What was she daydreaming about? Oh, I wonder what he'll be like. I wonder what he'll... And by the way, she already had a good idea, or at least her a good idea about what he would be like. He'll be the king of kings. He will be the Messiah. I wonder how that will happen. I wonder when he will take up the sword. And I wonder when he will drive out the Roman oppressors. I, I wonder when he will bring peace. That's what the shepherds told us he would bring. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. I wonder how soon this will happen. And boy, I wonder what it will be like to be mom to the king. Probably have some perks there. And they go to the, the temple. And in fact, it was a custom that all Jewish folks did. Um, it was circumcision. This was instituted long ago with Abraham. And then on the eighth day of a newborn boy, they were supposed to appear and the priest would circumcise the boy. And at that time, they would name the child. And if we look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, it says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. They're doing what good Jewish folks do. What good Jewish folks have done for thousands of years, following the law, following the pattern that Father Abraham had laid out. And Luke is making sure we know that his parents, Mary and Joseph, are good Jewish Torah-observant people. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Huh? It sounds like we just turned on the Catholic Church uh, Christmas Eve service and they're speaking Latin and we're not quite sure what they're doing here. At least I felt that way. Anybody else? 33 days later, they go to the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they're probably in Bethlehem, so this is not a far journey. Um, and... We're told it's in the law of Moses. And so if you would look at Leviticus chapter 12, and you might think, wow, how did he know that? My Bible has footnotes. Those are really helpful. If you look at the footnotes in your Bible, it says Exodus 13.2. And Exodus 13.2, I, I don't have that one, Bailey, so don't worry. Exodus 13.2 is the scripture that tells the Jewish people this, the Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Every firstborn belongs to God. And this is Mary's firstborn. And this is the child that belongs to God. She can keep the rest, but this one's his. In fact, every Jewish uh, person who had uh, sheep or goats or cattle, all of the firstborn animals were sacrificed as a burnt offering to God. Ranchers, that'd come at a cost to you, wouldn't it? The firstborn of every single 
animal, sacrifice to God. And what they did was they would pay a redemption price for the human children. They wouldn't sacrifice them to God. Other religious folks in the ancient Near East, some of them did practice infant child sacrifice, but not the Jews. And they would pay a price to redeem the firstborn. And it's interesting because Luke doesn't mention that there's a price that's been paid. He doesn't mention that they paid the redemption price. Uh, He probably leaves that out and maybe they didn't pay it because Jesus is God's. God is Jesus. (laughs) And there is no redeeming him. In fact, he comes to redeem us. But it does make mention of this purification rite, and that we find in Leviticus chapter 12. And I do have these words for you on the screen. Leviticus chapter 12, beginning in 1, we get this interesting law. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, A woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. And on the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Well, that sounds like what we read. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. And you're thinking, okay, that's too much info. Why are we reading this? This is strange. And it was a religious ritual. And when you read about clean and unclean in the Old Testament, it's not talking about hygiene. It's talking about purity in a religious sense. And for whatever reason, God decided that women, after they gave birth to a son, were unclean for 33 days. And I wish I had a really good answer as to why. And if you keep reading this, you find that for a girl, they're unclean for 66 days. And if I knew the reason for that, I'd let you know. But you can stand in line in heaven and ask God, why 33 and why 66? What's the deal? Jesus is a firstborn male. He's circumcised on the eighth day. And as we just read, they went to the temple 33 days after that. So Jesus is 40 some days old. They go to the temple and the doves are given to purify Mary so that she can re-enter into the religious life of the Jewish people. So she will be no longer ceremonially unclean. So these are given on Mary's behalf. And it's interesting because if you keep reading, you'll see that the law required a lamb unless you're too poor. To afford a lamb. And then you could bring two doves or two pigeons. What did Luke say they brought? This is the interactive part, just to make sure you're awake, because some of you. Doves, the birds. You see, Mary and Joseph aren't well to do, they're poor. If you've ever heard of a health wealth preacher, Talking about how you should be wealthy and prosperous and healthy and all this stuff. Um, He didn't inform Mary and Joseph, apparently. 
And most likely baby Jesus grew up in relative poverty. Jesus most likely lived his entire life as a poor person, far less wealthy than any of us. He never, ever saw running indoor plumbing. He, he never once rode in a vehicle. Uh, he, he never once had seven to 14 different outfits to choose from. He, he, he never once probably had a day where he ate three high-calorie meals. Jesus was relatively poor his entire life. And we see here that Mary and Joseph are good observant Jews. They come to the temple. They offer the sacrifice of the poor people. Now, they're not the poorest people because if you weren't even able to, 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 to have the birds, doves, or pigeons, you could offer grain, which would be far less expensive. So we know that they're not utterly destitute. But they're not exceedingly well off either. And then something weird happens. Not that, you know, none of this is very weird to us, right? Uh, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Luke wants to make sure you know that about him. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is a way of saying he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for God to do his thing. He was waiting, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. (laughs) I know some elderly folks. My grandmother would be one of them. She'd like to have God tell her why she's still waiting. Right? She'd like to know, why am I still here? Um, I've had that conversation with many elderly folks. Why, why does the Lord have me still here? I don't know. He hasn't revealed to you it's for the consolation of Israel, so you would see that. I really don't know why. I guess it's so you could pray for me and pray for everybody else and pray for the church. Oh, and he probably still has some stuff for you to do. Not just prayer. Service. Loving folks. Taking care of people. Simeon, we find he is an elderly man. He goes to the temple, it says, moved by the spirit. He went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. (laughs) Here's your newborn kid, 40 some days old. This old guy grabs him and takes him into his hands and starts to praise God. That's weird. When we first showed up at church with Sam, he was in a car seat, strapped in, and it was kind of an ordeal to get him out of there. So we just carried that thing on inside, right? And usually he's asleep because the car ride would lull him to sleep, just like his mother. And you put him on the seat next to you. Eventually you pull him out to show him off to people. But, you know, newborn Folks just just don't come up and take the newborn out of your hands, right? This guy, stranger, Simeon, takes Jesus from them. Why? What did he say? He says this, Sovereign Lord, 
as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Uh Uh-oh, he's going to die as he's holding the kid. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the who? Gentiles. Who are they? Us. Anybody Jewish here? No takers? Okay. And the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon is one of the first. It's already been told to the shepherds, but he is another person who says, this is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He hasn't just come for Israel. He has come for Israel, but he's come for the entire world. All the Gentiles, everybody is included in his righteous rule and reign. Everybody will benefit. And it says nothing about what they believe about him. It says nothing about what they think about him. It just says, this is the light for revelation to the Gentiles, all of them. They will all benefit from this child. They will all be ruled by this child. And if you're Mary, and if you're Joseph hearing this, and you've been sitting around for the last 40 some days talking about, man, what's it like to be parents of the newborn king? Well, it feels pretty much like our lives before him not being here because we're still dirt poor and we still really haven't seen any results from this other than a bunch of shepherds showed up and told us about what the angels did. I'm not seeing much progress here, God, with bettering my stake and my state of life. And then you get to the temple and Simeon shows up and he says these really interesting things about your kid. And you're going right on. My kid is king of the kings. Wow. Isn't that cool? Unfortunately, he doesn't stop talking there. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. And I always wonder, is this, is this the content of the blessing that we're about to read? Or did he say something else that isn't recorded? Because if this, what he, re, what he says here is the blessing, this is a bummer blessing here. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. Huh. Okay, what? Can you go back to the first part? Because that was really cool sounding. A sword will pierce my soul? It's interesting, his words. He doesn't say body, doesn't say heart, doesn't say pierce you, you know, your physical body. It says pierce your soul. And thousands of words have been spilt by theologians trying to figure out what Simeon had in mind. And I think he had in mind emotional turmoil for Mary. The emotional turmoil she would feel as she stood watching her son die as a criminal on the cross. And we all know the story. If you've grown up in church world, if you've even have any idea of crosses in churches, uh, you know the story that Christ would later die upon a cross. And this is one of the first references in the old, in the, in the new Testament, in the gospels that we get that is foreshadowing what will happen to Christ and what will happen to Mary. Don't you wish that life always was good? That 
it always was happy and it always went well with you and you won the lotto every time you played and every gift you got was something you wanted. But life doesn't work that way. And even Mary, the mother of Jesus, is being told by God because the Holy Spirit came upon Simeon and told him the very, the very God who sent his son to you is telling you he's not always going to protect you. That there will be sorrow and suffering in your life, even if you're the mother of the Christ. I don't know about you, but that bums me out a little bit. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I don't know about you, but I would much rather it just ended with the good news. I'd much rather go, God loves everybody and he just wants you to have a great life. So there you go. Fantastic. Awesome. And Oprah Winfrey show up and we all look under our chairs and everybody's got brand new keys to a whole new car. And, you know, how cool would that be? But unfortunately, unfortunately, good news, good news is good for certain people. And it's bad news for others. And sometimes even good news has a side to it that's not always good. It can be difficult. Good news can be difficult news. And that's what Mary is being told here. This good news about your kid, it's good news, but it's difficult news because your kid is going to be a stumbling block. Your kid is going to divide people. And later on, when Jesus is in his 30s and he's begun to travel around the country and he's preaching, he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword and I have come to divide father from his son and mother from her daughter. And I wonder, when he sat at Mary's lap growing up and she told him the story of Simeon, I wonder if she left the sword out. I wonder if she left the sword out, but at the same time, I wonder if she told him about the sword. And it was that image that he picked up. And when he knew who he is, and when he knew what his calling in life was, he understood that I have come to divide. As he would later say, you're either for me or against me. <laughs> well, one of the things that I learned from this, for me personally, is that there are times in my life that I will need to turn my back to the easy and the comfortable. In order to follow God. There are times in my life that in order to follow Christ faithfully and obediently, I'm going to need to turn my back on the comfortable and the easy. Man, that's bad news. Because I'm an American. I like comfort. Anybody with me there? Last few weeks, my car has not heated itself. It overheats, but it sends none of the heat into the cab. 
I have a blown head gasket on it. I've been trying to fix it with little chemicals and whatnot, and I don't want to spend the $700 because I really don't like my car enough to keep it going. If this is its last leg, I'll walk or ride a bike. So I pour chemicals in there and mechanics and other people, oh, try this, do that, you know, bubble gum, that might help you. And so try different things. And if you remember, it's been really cold the last few weeks leading up to Christmas. And I'm in my car and I'm bundled up and I'm, number one, we don't drive far enough in town to really warm up our cars anyways, but I would take a few laps around town and I'd watch my heat gauge get all the way to the top and then I'd watch it go beyond and then I'd see the temperature gauge flashing and then I'd see the low coolant things flashing here and, and then I'm like, there's no heat in my car, what's going on? And every morning I would go and I'd put radiator fluid into my radiator and every day the same thing happens, no heat and I'm uncomfortable, it's not easy. I'd much rather get out and turn on my car and heat shows up and stuff happens because I'm an American and I'm used to comfort and I'm used to easy. I've got a microwave. I can cook for myself, for goodness sake. (laughs) And there are times. There are times when those things that make us uncomfortable, that really irritate us, that make life frustrating, like, oh, I'm cold, and this is miserable and horrible. Those are small discomforts and small levels of pain compared to what God may require of some of us, if not all of us. And one of the things I most despise in modern Christianity is this notion that being a disciple of Jesus is only for a select few. I'm a Christian, but not a disciple. You see, one of the things that Jesus tells us again and again and again, and one of the things that is being told by Simeon to Mary, is if you're going to be the mother of Jesus, if you're going to follow in his way, there will be pain and suffering. It's not going to be easy and it will not be comfortable. And I think it's a, a warning to those who read this book. I think it is instructions for those who read. And it tells us, if you will follow this Messiah, it's not going to be comfortable and easy. You see, Jesus came to die. And I don't know when he realized that. But at some point, he became aware of the fact that he was here to die. He was here to give his life as a ransom for many. He was here to lay down his life for his friends. He was here to offer us eternal life through his death. You see, Jesus models this way. In fact, he would later on in his teachings allude to this by saying, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus never once said, if you want to be a Christian, He said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. And I wonder if when he said that, he thought of his mom. He would point at her and say, if you want to be my disciple, be like mom. Who suffers for me. Well, maybe this sermon hasn't lived up to what you wanted it to be. Maybe you came hoping for unicorns and butterflies and um, a pick-me-up for Christmas. 
Don't you wish the Christmas story would have ended Christmas Eve? Be careful what you wish for. Because if he had just grown up and been a baby and then he grew up and just, you know, everything went hunky-dory, the Gentiles would have never heard of this man. And because he lived and died the way he did, he changed the world. And it is our opportunity, if we will turn our backs on comfort and ease, to to participate with him in changing the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Mary was obedient to you. We thank you that the Holy Spirit helped her. And Lord, I just wonder what she was thinking that day. Nobody likes to be told that their son or daughter is going to be the source of division. (laughs) Nobody likes to be told that um, the son or daughter will bring them pain. Nobody likes to be told that they're going to suffer. And I wonder what they thought. Lord, I wonder if sometimes when we are told by you that we need to grow up and mature a little bit and that brings discomfort and it's hard. I wonder sometimes if we run the other way and choose not to grow up. Lord, I do pray that you'd lay it on our hearts what you require of us to be your disciples. And you would make it clear how we can be more faithful to you. And we would not be people who cower from your call because we might think it's hard or uncomfortable. That we would be people who embrace it, who welcome it, because we know through it you can do much in this world. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May each of us count the cost and follow Christ, whatever comes our way. Amen.